Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Since its launch, tens of thousands of Muslims have given zakat through NZF. We're the only platform with a national reach enabling you to give zakat to those who need it here. Across the country, Muslims are in need. Your zakat has the potential to change their lives. Just go to www.nzf.org.uk to calculate your zakat, choose how it's used, and keep updated about the impact it's having on the lives of Muslims where you live. NZF. Give zakat here. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Millionaire Muslim Podcast. With me I've got Asad yes. um, of uh, serial entrepreneurial background. Thank you. You're currently the founder of Click, but you've previously founded a very, very successful telecoms Telecom. company. Yeah. And you've also had some experience in, well, you had a lot of experience in optometry and yeah. you know being in that field as well. Yeah. So it'd be great to dig into all of that. But first, I thought it'd just be really nice for our audience to understand your background. Where did this all start? Where did these multi-million pound businesses spring from? What was it at the start in your childhood, early, early years? Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I started a business when I was 22. I'm 34 now. From a young age, like we had electronics in the house. So my dad would like was an electronics engineer, graduated okay. from Imperial. Right. Like both my mum and dad educated backgrounds. So both came from East Africa and that's the first thing they did, you know, like studied and stuff. And then like growing up we had the ZX Spectrum and Commodore sixty four and, and right. then, like the PC we had a PC which was like really old school. My dad would like mod it and chip it and stuff yeah. like that. And so then I'd get really involved in that whole process and then, so I just loved at a young age to like open stuff up and then I always ended up opening stuff up then and breaking it so I right. remember there was this one time when we went to Devon which was our family holiday because we couldn't afford going yeah. abroad at that time and I'd broken the camera and I was really scared scared of my dad like you know what's he going to do and stuff and I, yeah I got I got hammered <laughs> but I think that play culture was always yeah. there and that inquisition from the yeah. very beginning yeah. and yeah I just loved tech and then all the way through like school and college I used to like we used to trade CDs and really? DVDs and God knows what, and uh, just like two like friends and family. And then I worked in my mom's family optician's business. Oh right, okay. So and that kind of gave me a buzz of like seeing like selling, and I sell to like kids to start off with. And, yeah, you know, what did uh, you sell? Just glasses. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so everyone, when you start selling glasses, the yeah. key thing to figure out is shape right. and fitting. So you start off with shape and fitting, and yeah. kids is quite consistent because they're all right. quite small heads. And right, okay, all that kind of stuff. So started off like that, like. I think I was 12, 13 selling glasses, uh, just helping out. And I think yeah. like just through that, so there was that play, there was that kind of natural sales yeah. ability starting young. Then my first job was in double glazing. So really? yeah, selling double glazing when I was 16, 17. Amazing. Have you seen, um, there's a BBC show that came on recently. Gold diggers, I want to call it. Okay. Uh, right. Maybe no, it wasn't gold diggers. It was a basic show. double glazing. Yeah. It was like these like dodgy double glazing yeah. salesmen. Yeah. No, I didn't laugh. I know, I'm not saying that you were dodgy. Yeah. But, <laughs> 
probably was. No, I didn't. It didn't last. I mean, it, it was tough. It was commission only. Right. And like I was 16, 17 and like I got fired. Basically. Yeah. I wasn't good enough. And then, yeah, I went into university. So my mum was like, look, go and do optometry. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a good career. To yeah. be honest, at that time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was more yeah. interested in what May Night were doing. Yeah. And yeah. So I did optometry. My mum's family, underlad, they've got like 45 optometrists in the wow. family. So it was like everyone I saw around me was an optometrist. So I was like, okay. Five optometrists in the family. Yeah. And back in that day, like you could be a locum and earn 60, 70 grand a year. Right. Yeah. Which was in 2005, six. That's, that's a lot of money, right? It's really good money. I mean, the house yeah. was like 200K or 200 yeah, yeah. grand. And so I was like, okay, look, you know, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Right. And 70K. I still remember at the time, my mum was not too well. And so she wasn't working. My dad was like 25 grand a year. So yeah. like, it was tough. I mean, they made life for us nice, but I never felt it. But then, um, went into uni and that's when I started to buy and sell phones. I see. So I used to go into two mobile stores, Vodafone stores, all this kind of stuff. And that was a time when mobile was not fully saturated. Right. So, you know, I think it was like 70% saturated in the markets and mobile networks were trying to encourage people to just have phones. Yeah. And so they would subsidize the cost of the hardware to just get you to, and the hardware would come with the airtime. So what we do, take the phone, take yeah. the SIM out. Um, claim the VAT back on the phone. Yeah. Sell the phones on into students. And we just made a nice little side business. That's really clever, yeah. Yeah. So I think in a year we made like 10K. Wow. You know, at the time funded our student lifestyle and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then it was my third year where I actually saw the iPhone launch, uh, the iPhone 2 launch. And I started to look into telecoms and I started to, you know, I was looking around at commissions and I just remember seeing everyone in telecoms was minted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I said, there's money in this industry. Yeah. And so that's like, there was some various kind of websites which showed the commissions. I kind of just did a kind of like commission minus hardware cost yeah. means a lot of money. Yeah. So I want to get into this industry. Actually, in my local mosque, in my local community, O2 was the only network that worked. Right. Okay. So I've always been someone that's been quite like networked in the mosque, even like just being young. So I was yeah. like, okay. No one's doing this in our mosque. I can sell a load of phones to our yeah. mosque. Yeah. yeah. And we have like 5,000 people that go yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone wants O2 network in the mosque, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to approach O2. O2 had a franchise program at the time. And I thought that'd be a good idea. And I was 22. Um, I didn't realize at that time there's 20,000 20, people applied. And there's only 40 people um, really? that got in. Why do you think they gave it to you? So I remember I prepared a 100-page business plan. Really? So at that time, I Googled, a, no, at that time, Yahoo'd, what does a business plan, what needs to be a business plan, 100-page, like, background on the market. I think they were just, like, yeah, it's, like, blown away by how much I'd put in. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess I'm young and hungry, and I had previous experience of, like, selling phones. Like, yeah. I think they took a chance on me more yeah. than anything. And it paid off. I was, so we launched our store, first store, around the iPhone 3G launch, like, few of the guys in O2 warmed to me and they gave me loads of stock. Right. Um, and yeah, we just smashed it. Like absolutely yeah. smashed it. And then we just grew that business uh, really fast. Like over the space of like five, six years, we grew to about, yeah, 40 million turnover. We had about 250 staff at one wow. point. We diversified from just being a franchise business into being like B2B and then going into like accessories and selling. And How many stores did you have? So we had 17 at the peak. Right. Okay. Yeah. And how did you kind of handle the growth? Like, how did you finance it? How did you... Because obviously, how many years did you grow from 1 to 17? Five years. Five years, okay. So that's 
pretty quick. Yeah, heavy capex. Uh, yeah, stupidly for our own cash flow. Really. <laughs> so so uh, now looking back at all, yeah. why didn't I do that? Um, just lots of leases and that sort of thing. Just cash. Yeah. I mean, it was a cash generative business. Yeah. So we were using our existing cash. We yeah. bought business actually through the cash flow. Really. We didn't need to borrow a penny. We I think we had like a hundred k loan at one point, which yeah. we like didn't want to get rid of because it was just so low interest rate. Yeah. So we just kept that. We had money in the account. Yeah. It was a good time in telecoms at that point. I think I got in at the right time. Timing is key, isn't it, in lots of things? Yeah. And then I guess as a person, you ask the question of how did I manage growth? I mean, I couldn't manage people when so, I first started. Well, actually, I should clarify. So did you have a founding team or was it just you? So I started it myself. Yeah. And then I met some two other guys who are also O2 partners right, along okay. the way. And then we merged our businesses together. Right, I see. Okay. And they were starting, they were the founders of Dishum, the Dishum restaurant. Oh, group. okay, really? They wanted to merge because they could see I had the energy, yeah. and, like the drive and stuff. And then they were starting this restaurant, which they told me nothing about and then yeah. I went to see it and the person was like oh my god this, yeah. uh, this is not just a restaurant yeah, this yeah. is like a serious stuff yeah it was you know you could tell that dish room was going to be big from yeah. the one. but were they in the business from the start or no did they... oh okay left me to it right fine so I was MD ran it like you know recruited everyone I ran the whole thing uh, from Amazing. start to finish so yeah so I interrupted as you were yeah. just about to say how you were like handle the expansion and team it's and... tough man go from 22 years old yeah. yeah I mean no management experience yeah really other than your mates to then managing people that are older than you yeah I remember hiring a sales director who was double my age really like 50 yeah 50 52 53 years old and yeah just it's tough right and you learn on the job and to be honest I had some like dark moments around I think at that age though you don't have any fear yeah. so even when you realise that you're not good at managing people you kind of just come back and try again yeah, yeah. and so that's what happened a lot to be honest um, that's what I've taken from that experience mm. the biggest thing is how to manage people alright two questions then one is how do you go about hiring the right people and then like, top tips for hiring people top tips for managing people yeah so hiring people it's all about well there's two things try and keep your budget low for hiring so I yeah. try and avoid recruitment consultants right, where yeah. I can so I like to headhunt myself yeah. try and find the right candidates try and look for something different on their LinkedIn profiles or you know whatever it is also try and work the network as much as possible mm. it's just I find recruitment consultants is a high risk of failure because people are very good at selling themselves especially as you start to go up the levels yeah, yeah. so step one try and work your network mm. yeah and try and lower the risk and try and find someone who really buys into you not being sold to by recruitment consultant so that's the kind of first thing the second thing is have as many meetings as you want yeah be sure they're the right person the amount of times i've like just i need a body in there so i'm just gonna hire this person and then it doesn't work out because i haven't done my due diligence i haven't checked i haven't got other people to check that person yeah i have uh, a history of notoriously long interviews <laughs> so right. drag, drag, drag it out um no I just, hour hour and a half because i need to really get to know the yeah. person yeah. beyond like how they perform of like course, what's their yeah, values course, and, yeah. you know like tell me about about you as an individual yeah. and uh family backgrounds and really try and get to know them so hire slowly i know it's like an old adage yeah and then you know this whole fire fasting fire firing I, I, it's probably one of my bugbears around like i don't like to fire people of course i like to try and give yeah, them as yeah. much if i've committed to them in the recruitment process and they've committed to me yeah. i feel it's my own personal responsibility to like make sure that they succeed but there is times where you've got to like it doesn't fit and you've got to just like and it's all about the cultural side of things how you manage people it's all about culture so it's all about i think you as a leader need to be present you need to be at the front driving things we'll come on to obviously kite later on but it's one of our 
one of my failures is I realized that I wasn't managing or leading in, in that example. But I think leadership and leading from the front is so important because people know exactly where they're going. Of yes. course, you need to empower them, but you need to figure out how much empowerment they, they need. Yeah. They need. And so when you say leading from the front, what does that mean? So that means giving everyone a very clear view of what your vision is, where mm. we're going. And it doesn't need to be, you know, you're taking over the world. I think stuff like that starts to be become unclear and open for interpretation as well. I like to kind of break down like targets and just be very clear on targets and KPIs. Yeah. So whether it's a year ahead, a month ahead, two months ahead, three months ahead. So people can see it. And I like to then track back yeah. week by week as well and yeah. have very clear, I'm very numbers driven. So from the telecoms industry, I've learned to be very analytical because we yeah. have like very complex financial models and stuff yeah. like that. I like to kind of manage people through numbers as well, as well as emotion, yeah. so as well as an objective, as a subjective way yeah. of managing them. Because then people know exactly whether they're performing or they're not performing. And then it's not up to you to have a difficult conversation. Mm. It's much more natural to have that difficult conversation. Makes sense. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. So doing really well in this business. Yes. Where did Kite come along? When, yeah. How did you move from on it to Kite? So basically what happened was I was 27 and I was bored. Right, uh, okay. And like I'd grown a team and all that kind of stuff. And the business had reached a point where I thought it's going to be difficult to grow this much more. So I'm just going to take the dividends. I thought iWear would be a good option. I looked at the industry and I was like, it's high margin, you know, like 80% margin, there's a gap in the market for a high quality eyewear brand but mm. an affordable price. And yeah, that was the kind of like simple idea, really. Really good design, good experience. Everything in the industry looked quite sterile, yeah. you know, like Specsavers and Vision Express and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, let me do this. When you say the design, did you guys make your own? Yeah, we made process? our own frames. Yeah. Entirely your own yeah. frames. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it wasn't like a Specsavers model where they do some of their own, but also have other people in there. Yeah. It was just literally your own. Purely your own. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. What happened there was, so there's a few learnings. I ended up selling the business because I just wanted to just get out because I'd lost enough money. Yeah. If it, but let me explain, I guess, some of the learnings. Yeah. So... The size and scale of the business was immense, even though it's just one store at the beginning, because you've got product design, manufacturing, yeah. Italy, then you've got retailing, you've got online, you've got marketing, and we just totally underestimated that. Like, that's like a massive operation. And to be honest, at that time, I was running a sales business. It's very different running a sales business to running a creative business. And there's a when, race. when you say creative business, what do you mean by that? So ultimately, you're selling a lifestyle. I through see. eyewear okay. so if you think like Gucci, Prada yeah just like a fashion invest- label absolutely yeah. so you're investing in lifestyle you as a consumer you'd buy yeah. you've got a little people's frames on yeah. just now yeah, you know yeah. you would have bought into that lifestyle you know of course the fitting yeah. and everything like that yeah I got sold it so I yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so that was the first kind of thing is the yeah. size and scale of this business the second thing was the amount of head sizes there are yeah right <laughs> was something that actually I learned it's so difficult to create a profitable IO business because there's just every person's head is so different. And what happens is you're always chasing like, oh, I wish that round one was a little bit bigger or that square one is a little bit smaller. And you then end up in an inventory problem because you're constantly getting new designs. And we kept on sinking money into inventory and 
just to like chase that essentially because ultimately we're selling direct to consumer so you want so to have everything so we want to have everything and that was another issue and you have to do 300 of each frame in different colors and then we started to do different colors and then certain colors don't sell and you left with inventory and you have got you basically got a yeah. stock problem yeah yeah and, and shifting these, that inventory and, and these have to be made in Italy yeah what? So no, it doesn't need to be. We okay. chose it, chose it to be because okay. we wanted high quality. That was another issue. Right. So we went after high quality when our competitors were making in China. So there's a cost differential, and it was a ten euro cost difference wow. per frame. Yeah, and they could price a little bit lower but yeah. make much better profit margins. Yeah. And it was totally the wrong strategy from a product perspective. Mm. What we should have done is gone to China and made it in China. China's quality is like, at that time, we had someone who was advising us that China's really bad and Italy's good and we trusted it and we should have done more due diligence in that sense. I mean, this is, actually, you carry on. I'll, yeah. I'll, ask, I'll hold this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Thing. So we actually got to a point where the business was making money two years in and it was actually going really well and yeah. then... Um, still one store and online. Still one store and then we got ahead of ourselves and I think, like, it comes from the telecoms business and this is a massive, massive learning for anyone. When you make money, yeah, put it away in yeah. property or whatever it is. Make that money work hard. Yeah. Don't think you can take over the world. And we just got overconfident. We thought that we've had such great success with this other business. We'll put money into this and we'll create the next big yeah. unicorn. When you say we again. What, so my partners from my telecoms business came in with this business. Uh, and I see. guys as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And we just got overconfident with things. Yeah. We started throwing money at things. And in the creative industry, you can throw five grand at a shoot, 10 grand at this. 15 grand of that. Before you know it, you've spent a million quid. Mm. And when it's your own money, like you're almost investing, it will come, it will come, it will come. It yeah. never comes. And we almost lost what got us to that point through the first business, that hustle, yeah. being at the front, driving things, not having a marketing director and this person yeah. and that person and trying to create this tech company. So it was a massive, massive learning experience. And how did you lose that? You mean you kind of, instead of doing it yourself and hustling, you kind of, Hired in and kind of Hired paid money to kind of get yeah. that done by professionals. Yeah, like you, like you see a lot of these kinds of startups and only speak, you know, there was, I can't remember which one it was from the States, but just losing an incredible amount of money because they've got huge teams, yeah. massive offices, nice environments. Yeah. And I think it's a major issue in the creative industry and it's a cultural issue as well because the challenge is the creative staff want the nice environments, all that kind of stuff. So you have to balance it. Yeah. But we didn't have the revenue to support that. Yeah. And what we should have built is that gritty hustle culture from the beginning mm. and which got us to the point of profitability two years in. We could have like driven that further and we just tried to create something new that like was almost a dream it was a mirage you know you got to profitability then we just kept on investing so we're like yeah. so we almost got to the point where it was profitable right yeah and invest and yeah. go and do this and go and do that and go and do that and then retail started to collapse a bit and we didn't even focus on the marketing side of things we were investing in like i don't know some new r&d and product yeah. yeah product and not focus on the marketing that sales bit and the market was moving and the market was moving yeah. yeah like now i reflect back on it and i'm like such an idiot like yeah. what did I well, do of course yeah. but, but it's easy to look back isn't it yeah and I remember still having had the success of the first business and everyone would say you have to fail and blah, blah, blah. I used to read all these things yeah. and, and I was like no I don't need to fail <laughs> <laughs> but and then doing this business I was like shit man like I'm not happy to lose money yeah. no one would be but the learnings and the pain that you get from that yeah. is going to stay with me for the rest of my life yeah of course Sometimes you just need, as the people said, you just need to fail to learn, right? Mm. Because I, I imagine 
this next business, which we'll go on to, yeah. you will be much better placed to do this now, yeah. having gone through both a success and a bit of a failure, than if you had just had a success. Because I imagine you would have thought, okay, so that thing in that business mm. works, so I'll just do it again. Whereas now you know that actually there are kind of two ways that it could play out. Yeah, exactly. It kind of depends on business to business. Before we move on, I thought I'd just ask you, what do you think about 3D printing? Do you think that could be the, yeah. like, I mean, now I think the technology is there, probably, yeah. I don't know, yeah. to potentially just 3D print frames live and fit to a person's head in the shop. Yeah. Do you think that's a... So I've done, I know a lot about this technology because we've done a lot of work on it. Yeah. Lots of R&D investment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's where it all went. <laughs> yeah. So... so the technology is there, yeah. so you can do a head scan, yeah. yeah, and you can basically then send that to print. The reality is, when you look at a 3D printed product and you put it in your hand mm. and you compare it to an acetate product, yeah. the lightness and everything doesn't feel as nice as a acetate or a more premium product, for, for example, the, the Oliver Peoples frame that you're yeah. wearing now. So there is a market So this for is it. lighter or this is heavier? No, the 3D printed stuff feels light and it feels cheap. I see. Okay. So there is a market for it, yeah. yeah, and it's definitely in the guys that, or the girls that like that innovative 3D yeah. printing want to say, I've got a 3D printed frame. But if you showed a mass market customer, yeah. a 3D frame and an acetate frame or a Ray-Ban frame, they would say that the 3D printed frame is not worth a lot of money. But is it, in terms of quality, is it the same? No, it's the quality and feel of it. Yeah. It's nowhere near like right. an acetate or a mass okay. manufactured frame. And you can't, Technology isn't there yet for you to mass print like acetate or no or something like no. that. No, so I, th- look, I think do I think eventually some some stuff could get there? Yeah, maybe, but the demand's not there anymore. Hmm. So people have realised that 3- what three D printing is good for is prototyping. Yeah, so we use it prototyping for Noli, our technology business, a lot of the time, yeah. just to think about forms and you know stuff like that. But when it comes to final manufactured product, this dream that was sold by Silicon Valley that you'd go on Amazon and buy a file and print yeah. it out, yeah, it's bullshit, man. Like it's gone into the ether now. I think there is a market though for some of these types of products hmm. for sure. And glasses, it's a brand called Mykita, they have a product called Mylon. It's actually quite nice and refined it. Yeah. But you're talking a five hundred pound product. Yeah. So again, it just starts to become niche. Makes sense. Did you like wind that down, exit that, and then? So we exited the business at very low value, basically. Yeah. So and then on to your latest thing, right? Click. Yes. Or was it immediately onto Click, or was it kind of? I had basically pulled away from Kite about a year yeah. before we got sold because I was focusing on. I realised that I didn't want to do fashion, and it was yeah. tough. I wanted to focus on like where I felt I could make the most impact, which is telecoms and technology. And I could see the technology world was getting old. Yeah. And I was young. Yeah. <laughs> and I could see things which no one else was seeing. Yeah. That led me on to start Noli and led me on to start Click. So um, what's Noli? I know roughly what Click is, but what's yeah. Noli? So Noli is basically, I started as a research project. So it's basically a hardware business. It's everyday tools designed to be better. Right, okay. So your case, your power banks, your cables, the bag that it all goes into, yeah. wireless charging but taking an industrial design view to it. And, you know, we've come up with various patterns and better ways of doing things, essentially, Mm. than the industry. And move away from the disposability of the industry to stuff which is more useful, essentially. And lasting, yeah. And lasting. 
And that, is that live? Like so we go live in May. Ah, oh, right, okay. So, so it's not, right. Yeah, okay. so we're going to be stocking in about 100 stores. Nice. We're going to be selling online, Amazon. So, yeah, it's a very interesting business. Yeah. I started it as a research project. And, and, and is it like our audience, there might be entrepreneurs in there, yeah. they're thinking, you know, when you just kind of glibly say, yeah. you'll be stocking in 100 stores. Yeah. I'm like, how does he manage that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually been, I learned from my kite experience yeah. a lot. And so what I did was I knew that hardware is hard. It's in yeah. the name. Yeah. And but I knew there's a big opportunity in the space because I was selling Mophie, Anchor, Native Union. I was selling these brands day in, day out. Yeah. I knew how crap they were. Yeah. And I knew that if we could create something that was more useful, British, yeah. good price point, just simply that people would resonate with it. Yeah. But I knew that the process to get there would be expensive. Yeah. Um, so we started as a research project. We approached an industrial design firm. We came up with some concepts and then we launched it at two design shows. So London Design Festival 2017 and we did it again 2018. Through that coverage and through the concepts because they're so visually quite different yeah. and they feel different they act different can um, people see there's like a website that people can see yeah them? absolutely so noli.com and if you right. follow us on instagram we're starting yeah, to like tell a story yeah but because of that various retailers picked up on it and then we started to approach the retailers and because i'm from this industry i know it everyone. helps yeah yeah i know all the buyers i know all the networks and all the electronic stores yeah so i just approached them and said this is my brand and to get to the point of 100 stores is a long process still, yeah. but because I'm selling a dream. and But I think more than anything, because they know me, they're yeah. buying into me yeah. as an individual. I de-risked it in that sense. And with Noli, we've gone for a much smaller range of SKUs comparing to the Kite stuff. The reason why I like mobile electronics is that, you know, every phone is different, yeah. but the head that goes inside, whether it's USB-C or Lightning, there's only two variants now. Yeah can reduce the amount of SKUs that there are. If we yeah. create like, you know, cables, think about the amount of cables that are produced. Yeah. We can create a better cable than what's out there, a really good price point, the volume you can do. Yeah. The channels, so whether it's retail, B2B, your reliance on your direct channels is not that big. You know, there's been this whole kind of movement around direct c- consumer businesses. I think you have to be multi-channel. You can't just do direct course, consumer. Yeah, and it was always going to happen and that bubble was going to burst. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I suppose the answer then is that Yes, it's, you know, now you've got to 100 retailers that you're going to go to market with. Yes. But that's a combination of, you know, your track record, your networks, yeah. but also, you know, two design shows. Yes. Probably getting a few early kind of anchor people on board, yeah. which you can then say to other people, look, these guys are on board. Exactly. That, that really helps. And then yeah. you get a snowball going, you have to yeah. like do all the sales. So it's not as easy as that guy, as that guy's. But, no. And also like the manufacturing bit, when you're starting a product business, yeah. you know, from the kite stuff, manufacturing is really hard. Yeah. Now mobile electronics is a different level. Like it's really hard. And we have had some factory flops. So where we've not worked with the right factories, we've now managed to find an amazing factory network which allows us to now scale the business. So now is also the right time to launch this because if we wanted to go from 100 stores to 1,000 stores, we can do that easily. So we've got that scalability. We've got the right partners in China now that manage those relationships on the ground. So we don't need to be there. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk to you about China because before we were talking about, you said you had a lot of learning about China and how you navigate that whole space. Yeah. So, yeah, please do share. Firstly, China is an amazing place. And I go into Hong Kong and then from Hong Kong, I go to Shenzhen. And Shenzhen, you go there, every taxi, bus is electric. Yeah, it's such an advanced city. I mean, you come back to London, you feel like you're going back in time. So the first thing I'd say about China, it's all about relationships. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all about getting to know your factories, getting to know 
the people inside there, especially when you're starting off, like you're no one, you don't have any volume, you don't have any money you can show them or any commitments. Yeah. So you have to get them to buy into you as an individual. So a big part of navigating China is finding the right factories. There's so many factories out there, Alibaba and all this. And the way we did it is through recommendations. And then through those recommendations came other networks, getting them to get excited for, about you putting content out there. Also, the factories come to you. I think my learning from Noli is try and find a partner who, well, first they have to speak English. Yeah. You can communicate with them directly. Yeah. You do need that person on the ground. You can't yeah. do it remotely. Yeah. You can't just like, you know, have calls and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Did you go or do you have a person on the ground there? Or? So I've gone. So I've been to China now 15 times. Wow. Yeah. Over the last, what? Few Over the years? last 18 months. Wow. Okay. So. And you better not have Corona white virus. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get asked this all the time. When was the last time you went? Yeah. No. I think it was September last year. Right. So, okay. So, We're so safe. You're safe. Yeah, exactly. In this confined room. And the reason I've gone so much is I wanted to understand every detail, like everything. Because yeah. I'm not a engineer, but I think I'm pretty smart. So. I wanted to understand everything. That's why I've gone, even though we've got the partners there. Yeah. And I think also once you're there, things accelerate mm, yeah, of course, much faster. Yeah. So I've been there for a month, you know, one yeah. time. I went, I was there for an entire month and all that kind of stuff. you got to negotiate as well. you yeah. got to like, you know, got to get them to buy into you. And the Chinese, what I love about them, they're all about their reputation. Mm. They never want to disappoint a client. Yeah. yeah? So you always got to remember the dynamics of the people. Yeah. yeah? And every culture is different. you got to understand the culture. Mm. And that's taken some time and some learnings and sometimes yeah. I'll upset them and really? stuff like that. You know, but at the end of the day, if they're excited about the product and the business, yeah. then that's the most important thing. Yeah. That's really cool. So you've got Noli yeah. and you've got Click. Yes. And you're kind of, you've got obviously Telecom's uh, business. on it as well, yeah. which is kind of running in the background. Yeah. Is that kind of like now hands off? You've got like a kind completely of hands off. CEO type person. Yeah. Kind I've of got an MD running it, completely okay. hands off. Right. Okay. Once a month check-ins. Yeah. Um, you know, if that. I'm quite lucky in that sense. So Click, I've got an operator, basically the CEO. I, I assume the creative direction kind of role right, okay. in that company, so I'm not doing the day-to-day. Fine. Okay. Uh, and Arif, who you met, yeah, is, yeah. is my CEO. The you know I hand over everything operationally. The got, execution and everything. Yeah, and we've got a really good balance because like he doesn't get involved at all in the creative side of things, yeah. and I don't get involved at all in, in the operation side of things. When I'm yeah. getting my leads through now, I just hand it over. Yeah. Him and the team basically like, drive it. But Click is a very, although they're quite different. Is, what does Click do? So, Our audience won't know. Yeah, absolutely. So Click is basically sustainable technology, yeah. everyday tools, more sustainable for modern businesses. So, for example, instead of buying a new MacBook, we can sell you a secondhand one-year-old MacBook or the same thing with phones. And the reason why we've done this business model, we started to notice that the actual price or the value of these devices started to depreciate in the same way a car depreciates. So in the first year, these devices lose 40%. But then what's interesting is they retain their value long-term. So for a business, and now innovation is at its lowest point, you know, in technology, you know, it's no longer the days of an iPhone 5 to an iPhone 6 where that jump was massive. You're talking in, you know, MacBook Pro 15-inch to a 16-inch. Yeah. That jump is really, really small. And actually for a business owner, what they care about is obviously having the, the team technology enabled. Yeah. They want to make sure the technology lasts 
But ultimately, it's about budget. Of course, yeah. Especially so, if they're like a young startup or something like that. Exactly. But actually, anyone really is focused on budget these days. Yeah. So, so we spoke to various business owners when we started this. I actually wanted to start a B2B reseller business, a different one to on it, but more technology focused because I, I knew I could do telecoms and I, I know that market really well mm. and phones, but I wanted to add on laptops and I wanted to add on tablets, essentially get the whole share of the wallet. Yeah, so not just the phone, but the entire ecosystem. Because a modern business, what they need now, they don't need SIP trunking and all these like clever IT things that mobile providers talk about. All they need is a laptop, a phone, maybe a tablet and a software that goes in it and some Wi-Fi and they're off and running. So I wanted the share of wallet of that customer. But, and no one was doing it. No one was really doing the whole thing. And then we started speaking to them. We spoke to like hundreds of businesses. And actually what we identified was that most of those business owners actually would consider more sustainable uses of technology. There was also the ethical consumer movement, obviously, you know, within fashion, you look at fast fashion right now, it's all calls from fast fashion to change. Nothing was happening in the technology world. So we were like, if we confuse those two worlds together, is there a supply of second life products? And that's where my IP comes in because my network and everything, like getting that supply, getting to the right people. Yeah. So you've got loads of people in that space who are presumably, you know, got these first-hand things. Yeah. Getting rid of them. Surprisingly, there's not a lot of stock out there. So it's all about how you get it and who you know. So, and yes, that's what we spent the last 12 months building, basically, is that supply chain, making sure that's robust so that, you know, when a business comes to us, we can supply. But now we've got everything from MacBooks, iMacs, phones. We did printers yesterday, monitors, but then everything into chargers, cables, all Second Life, all been tested, all been refurbished. Yeah. And then we did the connectivity as well. The one you mean by the connection? So we do, we got our direct partner with O2. Right. Okay. And then we also do other mobile phone networks, the Vodafone, EE. Okay. So do, then, you, do you guys like, so Click is obviously separate to Onnit. Yes. Presumably there must be some kind of like relationship there. I think just through the network and the contacts, yeah. there's that relationship, but the two yeah. businesses operate separately. Fine. But again, everything's kind of like focused in the same industry. Yeah. Because it's an industry I know innately. Yes, of course. You know, yeah. I, I know the, our business. I mean, we're sitting here today in a co-working space. Yeah. I, I work in these places. I yeah. know these businesses. I know what yeah. they're, you know, what they want. And yeah. everything comes down to like budget. And of they, course, they just yeah, want to save course. money. They see technology as like a cost. Yeah. yeah. And as well as an enabler, obviously. Out of interest though, why did you go for click as a separate brand to on it because yeah. you mentioned how they could be like bundled up together yeah but you made a conscious decision to do it separately i think everything when you think of a brand everything in the brand needs to be consistent right and your messaging and everything like that and also the people there was you know on it's got a legacy because it's got people inside of it and for me to change that oil tanker and move it in this direction yeah. Yeah. so rather than that starting from scratch using all the learnings and, and all that kind of stuff and start this business yeah but everything coherently in the brand then can be yeah. focused and someone once said to me with a brand everything that arrow needs to be pointing in the, in the same direction yeah. messaging people everything yeah. and that's what's really important and yeah. if we're going down a real sustainable uh, story with this starting from scratch without any legacy i felt was the right thing to do makes sense makes sense that's really 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 interesting i wanted to pick on a few things like you know ideation and product design i think you've actually hit a lot of them <laughs> but can I mention one more thing about Click, actually? Yeah, yeah What we've it. done, we've actually... So before launching the brand, again, just taking the Noli stuff and from Kite, is getting a beta in. 
so we actually launched a beta in September last year. So we showcased in Korea. It's a Korea magazine. Right. So they have okay. a they have a show once a year called Korea Live. And I know the founder actually invested in Korea. Right. And so I told Jeff at the time, can we have a stand? Yeah. And so we had a stand there, and we showcased there, and it cost us like three grand or four grand or something. And uh, we actually made money back there as well. So what we did was we used it as a kind of like this is what we're doing. What do you think? to businesses and we met loads of businesses there and that kind of kick-started us kind of speaking to businesses and then like actually selling so we started then trading hardware at that point i think to this day we've done about 50 transactions 50 companies which is no mean fee and then we yeah. generated about 30 grand profit yeah. so that was a kind of like this works yeah. you know moment and a lot of those people came to us just wanting new devices and actually when they heard the difference and saw the difference in refurbish and the yeah. price difference and everything they were like yeah it makes total sense yeah. like you know i'll go why for, would you not do it why would i not do it and i'm saving the environment i can tell my employees i'm saving the environment and doing so. so so my question is where's the defense yes my answer i think is your supply network supply network and the brand that we'll create and i think also like me and Arif, ultimately people buy people. And with this business, I want to create a nice cash generative business. Yeah. I know we've got very little cost base and I know it doesn't take much to do yeah. it. And yes, people will copy us yeah. for sure. That's fine. I think this industry is going to become massive. Sustainable yeah. tech is 1% of the market at the yeah. moment. And it's going to become 10, 15%, I think, over the next few years. That market will be massive for everyone yeah. to have share of. Yeah. We just want to be the biggest <laughs> so, and the first. And I suppose your track record is that you've gone into markets that you're not an entrepreneur that's gone into like a deep tech space where you actually end up being in a monopoly yeah. uh, in that space. You're used to competition, like, you know, yeah. or two. I'm a trader. Uh, yeah. I'm a trader. I like competition. Competition's yeah. good, man. <laughs> competition drives you and... Yeah pushes you to be different i'll be honest if you look at the telecoms industry you just google business mobiles you see yeah. how crap everything is right now yeah we know we can make an impact and it's going to take someone else a year 18 months to yeah. go through the same journey we have of course yeah so yeah let, bring it i guess <laughs> <laughs> you're ready <laughs> yeah. well it's been a pleasure so i thought finally what would your kind of a parting advice is being um, yeah. to you know budding entrepreneurs or people who are already on the journey yeah and be you know where do you think in the future will you know take you and the muslim community yeah so i think just some advice to entrepreneurs is like some of the things i've said lead from the front hmm. be very clear about what your vision is yeah. and what that gap is test it yeah business is not taking about taking risk i always say this about managing risk and i've learned that through experience learn it the hard way you have to manage risk hmm. so once you have your vision make sure you test that to death hmm. and you don't need to be a software company to test stuff you can just like yeah. get in front of people show them talk to them Ask them what they think, yeah. you know, and then you can actually start selling to them. So we've done various levels of testing all the way through. Once you've done that testing, of course, you need to think about your market size and then how you're going to get to customers. So marketing is key. Like how are you going to market? What's your brand? What are you going to say? How are you going to say things? There's a lot of stuff out there about building communities and all that kind of stuff. It's become a bit of a buzzword. I think what you need to do is communicate what you're all about and through in through that process, build the community. Yeah. And then ultimately stay very commercial, very, very commercial from the beginning. I actually have a view now. I don't want to have money in any of my businesses. Actually, not having money, just you come up with ideas that you would not have thought about. Yeah. So actually having that tension always in your business and not having cash yeah. Yeah. is what drives you. 
but have a very robust financial model. So yeah. I now I've model everything. We have budgets, cash flow, review that on a weekly basis. Yeah. Stay very focused on that. If you get to plan yeah. on that, you will deliver and get to whether it's you know an exit or whatever it is yeah. in your business your objectives are and be very clear about what you're trying to achieve every year and keep things simple man like business is about selling stuff selling more than you well yeah making for, more yeah, money yeah. than you pay for right and as long as you're doing that you're doing well and yeah. you will change the world and do things that are different and yeah. blah, blah blah don't get fixated on that i think you've got to pay the bills at the beginning get through that 90% of businesses fail in the first year and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So you have to like grind ultimately. You've got to hustle. Yeah. And then your second question about... Future. Form, yeah, the future. So for me, I just like, I want to own this space in technology. I think I, what I'm doing is different to anyone else. I want to keep my feet on the ground and I just want to like hustle and get to as many people as possible, grow the brands, not try and do things too fast, grow it sustainably, make yeah. money, Reinvest in. I actually want to have. I want to focus on property right, as well. So I want to have some. What I'm good at investments. So like yeah. this kind of business stuff, and then I have a low risk stuff. Yeah. So I want to invest in that side of things. And then I guess for Muslims, I think the reason why I was so passionate about what you guys are doing is that yeah, more Muslims, more people of diversity in business, in entrepreneurship is only going to be a good thing. Yeah. And exactly. I think what we need to do is all work together. You know, all share and share yeah, knowledge yeah, yeah. and. It's all about that. All about opening yourself up to other people. It's what brings you network. It's what brings you learnings, experiences. I know we used to invest in my network five, six years ago, but now, like, it's all about network. That's what I've learned over time. Like, networks, everything. Yeah. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've learned a lot. Yeah, no, so thank I'm, you. I'm sure that our audience will have learned a lot as well. Inshallah, we'll get you on in the future and see where you've got to with Noli and Click and, yeah. and all the other things that you'll doubtless get up to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, stay focused. Stay yeah. focused. Whatever you do. And then now as well, it's like less is more. Less is more for sure. Incredible. Assalamu alaikum. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.